Welcome to the Vitality Radio Podcast, your source for the truth about health, wellness, and real alternatives to drugs, surgeries, and the status quo of healthcare. Here, you'll find information that empowers you to take control of your health. But it's not just about health and wellness, it's about the politics of healthcare and protecting your health freedom. Now, here's your host, Jared St. Clair. Hello and welcome to Vitality Radio. I'm your host each and every week, twice a week. My name is Jared St. Clair, and I am way late on this episode of Vitality Radio. One of my dear friends, uh, I'll just use his first name, although I don't think he would care, Chad, is uh, he's been pushing me to do this show for a while. He's been sending me articles. He's been telling me he's really concerned about this, that I should be hitting it up. And I have had so many topics on my list that it's just taken me a little longer to get to this one. But, oh my goodness, as I have done the research to prepare for this show, I have recognized that I should have talked about this months ago. He was right. And uh, so I'm going to apologize to him because I know he's probably listening. Uh, for not uh, doing this quicker, but at least, well, I'm doing it now. I wanted to have a little bit of space because this thing became kind of all the rage just in the last year. Wanted to see, uh, you know, what some of the fallout was. But uh, as I've looked through the articles that I'm using for this, most of them uh, were out by summertime, and I probably could have tackled it a few months ago at least. But regardless, I'm going to talk about something known as Wegovy. Ozempic, Ribelsis, or the generic name for these drugs, semaglutide. I'm just going to start with, uh, well, the warning. One of the warnings. Risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. That's one of the warnings that's actually in the uh, FDA uh, packet insert for this drug. If you don't know what these drugs are, these are weight loss drugs. These are drugs that are injected once a week that are designed to make you basically not want to eat food anymore. Uh, They were originally designed for diabetes type 2 and uh, have been somewhat effective for diabetes. However, um, as you'll learn in this show, I wouldn't recommend them for any purpose. We're going to talk about... What they do, we're going to talk about, um, okay, let me start over. What they're intended to do, we're going to talk about what they aren't intended to do, but do indeed do to the human body and to the brain and your mental health. We'll even talk about why the insane group of bought and paid for Fake scientists at the American Academy of Pediatrics is saying we ought to be giving this stuff to 12-year-olds. All of that ahead, I'm also going to talk about the uh, supplemental things that uh, people are using instead of uh, semaglutide, none of which, frankly, will help you lose weight as quickly as this drug potentially could, all of which will not kill you. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about a little bit about good old diet and exercise. I got a full show for you all about weight loss and all of the various factors that uh, 
play a role in weight loss and why we are seeing a propaganda storm from pharma and medical doctors when it comes to pushing these new drugs. That's what we're talking about today on Vitality Radio. Vitality Radio always brought to you by Vitality Nutrition in Bountiful, Utah. My family-owned business, been around for over 46 years now, and uh, just thrilled to still be doing what I love to do. And of course, you can find us there at 801-292-6662. That's 801-292-6662. Or you can jump online, vitalitynutrition.com. If you're new to the show or you haven't heard me talk about it, especially if you really like what you hear today or you like other episodes of Vitality Radio, and you're one who wants to get a little more interactive, jump into the Facebook group. We just hit 500 members, amazing people that are quite active in the group, answering questions, uh, giving feedback, uh, reviews on things that they've tried that have worked, things that they've tried that they ha- that haven't worked, asking lots of really great questions of me and my team over there. And uh, we give away free stuff. We do all kinds of fun things over there. It's on Facebook. There will be a link provided in the description of this episode. So let's get to it. Semaglutide is the the drug. That's what I'll use primarily, although it is known by its brand names, the biggest one being Ozempic and the next biggest one being Wigovi. So if you've heard of any of those, they are the same thing. Uh, they do the same thing. They are slightly different in their makeup, but uh, this article applies to any of the drugs containing semaglutide. So I mentioned the risks. Uh, this warning risk of thyroid C-cell tumors doesn't sound very good. Uh, what they found is that it's dose-dependent and uh, treatment duration-dependent, meaning that uh, you know the more you take and the longer you're on it, the more likely you are to get thyroid cancer from this drug. It is a pretty serious side effect, if I do say so myself. It is rare ish, but it does happen. And it seems to happen fairly consistently in a small number of uh, participants in these trials, most of which were done on rats, not humans. According to the Daily Mail, uh, which is an interesting kind of combo of uh, a news website and almost like a tabloid, except that they don't write tabloid stuff like the National Enquirer or the Star. They actually write like legitimate articles, um, but they also, you know, show pictures of half-naked celebrities or whatever else. The Daily Mail is an interesting resource. The reason I like to use the Daily Mail is because they seem to be, partly because I think they're British and not American, where the media is 100% owned by pharma and government. Uh, They're just a uh, propaganda wing for these uh, groups, also Big Food and all the others. The Daily Mail seems to still have a little bit of independence to it. So this article, while still probably influenced more than it ought to be uh, by these... uh, pharmaceutical companies and government entities, it exposes semaglutide in a pretty powerful way. So let's talk about it. More than 5 million prescriptions for weight loss drugs were written in the United States in 2022. I want you to remember that number. We're going to go back to it in a minute. 5 million. That's not a small number. And remember, this drug was only approved uh, for weight loss in 2022. So that's brand new stuff, or maybe it was late 2021. But regardless, 5 million people. And uh, it is feared, according to the Daily Mail, that uh, 
one of the big side effects of this drug are suicidal thoughts. Uh, a Reddit group for people taking the drug showed dozens of patients who have suffered from depression after taking up the weekly injection, saying they feel hollow and as though rarely anything makes them happy. One of the more chilling posts came from an Ozempic user in Canada, which read, I never understood why anyone would commit suicide, but now I understand. I'm on my third week not injecting, but I can still feel the side effects. Now, that's an important thing. I wondered if that was, uh, you know, psychosomatic or actually, uh, you know, a real uh, physiological uh, phenomenon with this one case. And what it turns out, if you read the packet inserts for Ozempic, it says that it takes about two months to clear the body. They don't recommend that anyone take it if they are planning to get pregnant within two months because it could uh, disrupt pregnancy and create issues there. So it takes a while to get out, and this poor user is still dealing with suicidal thoughts three weeks after discontinuing the medicine. Uh, as I said, more than 5 million prescriptions for weight loss drugs were written in the U.S., and uh, Ozempic and Savenda, I forgot to mention that one, a, uh, another, uh, or Sexenda, I guess it is, S-A-X-E-N-D-A, Sexenda, uh, another uh, form of this drug, uh, work by imitating hormones in the body that make someone feel full, suppressing their appetite. So what we have is a drug that uh, is, you know, potentially very effective because, Appetite is a big part of this picture, right? We talk about willpower when it comes to weight loss. We talk about, um, you know, caloric intake when it comes to weight loss. I'm going to shed some light on a bunch of other reasons why people struggle with weight uh, and uh, even talk personally about my own situation a little bit as we move through this topic. But sure, if I was less hungry, I would probably eat less food. And if that's all this drug did, then... Yeah, maybe sign me up. That'd be nice to not be so hungry and have cravings uh, sometimes, right? I think most of us could agree to that. But it also slows the speed at which the stomach empties, which ensures more food in the stomach for a longer period of time. Um, you may not know this about me if this is the first time you've listened to Vitality Radio, but I put a lot of a lot of emphasis on gut health and, uh, yeah, slowing the way the digestive system works. Probably not a great idea in most cases. The drugs have taken America by storm, though, uh, and I continue with the Daily Mail. Uh, the prescriptions for Ozempic and Wigovi, which both use the drug semaglutide, uh, have surged 2,000% since 2019 with, like I said, 5 million prescriptions in 2022. I don't know what the numbers are for 2023 yet. I don't know if those have been released. Novo Nordisk, which is the drug manufacturer, uh, already notes that uh, suicidal thoughts as a potential side effect of the drug are real. It writes in its precautions that suicidal behavior and ideation have been reported in clinical trials with other weight management products. Uh, monitor patients for depression, suicidal thoughts, or behavior and or unusual changes in mood or behavior and discontinue Wegovy in patients who experience suicidal thoughts or behaviors and avoid it in patients with a history of suicidal attempts or active suicidal ideation. Now, I brought this up. I've, I have brought this topic up on multiple episodes of Vitality Radio where we think about... Um, marketing of drugs directly to the consumer, which only happens in two countries in the whole world, one of which is the U.S. of A. 
And about 85% of people who go into their doctor saying, I want this drug, get this drug. Do you think that the doctor is spending a significant amount of time with that patient asking if they have dealt with suicidal ideations or thoughts? Do you think that that doctor is uh, looking at that patient's uh, mental health history? Maybe he or she is if that doctor is actually paying attention or maybe that doctor is just being pressured to give that drug and is uh, spineless and decides to do so. We don't know for sure. We do know that people who have a history with that should never be on this drug. We also know that mental health issues are at an all-time high in this country with anxiety and depression being number one and number two that people deal with. So, that in and of itself is an issue, but what is crazy is that people who said they felt great before Ozempic had never experienced suicidal thoughts or ideations. Well, they're experiencing them now. So who knows? Is it you know Russian roulette like it is with so many other drugs where a certain percentage of people are going to be suicidal whether they've ever been suicidal before or not? The clinical trials that uh, Novo Nordisk, one of these wonderful big pharma manufacturers, uh, have done, uh, they excluded patients with depression or recent suicidal thoughts because of the concerns over how the drug could affect them. Let's talk about that for a minute. So this is one thing that I just admire so much about drug companies uh, in this country and others is their concern for their patients. It's, uh, I wish I had some violin music I could play in the background here, but please hear my tone of voice shift. They, they truly are concerned about your health, their, your well-being, and the bottom line for them is just an afterthought. That's never been the primary concern with pharmaceutical companies, clearly. They care about you. And because they care about you, they didn't test this drug on suicidal people or depressed people or anxious people because they didn't want to hurt those people. That being said, there is no black box warning on the drug that says, we didn't test this on people who have mental health issues. So if you do, don't take this drug and tell doctors absolutely not to prescribe it for those kind of people. Because... You know what we don't know, because it wasn't tested, is if this drug could potentially push someone over the edge. If this drug could take an already challenged mental health patient, a mental health patient, a patient with challenged mental health or challenging mental health issues, if this drug could push them over the edge into not just ideation, but actual suicide attempt, is that possible? Well, I'd say, yeah, it's really possible. In fact, based on the research that we've read just so far and what I'm going to continue to read to you, I'd say it's likely. But we don't know because they didn't test it like that. Because if they did test it like that, do you think that that might have made it hard to get the drug approved? Maybe. I don't know. Maybe not. The FDA constantly has shown that they don't really give one rip how a drug provides or how a drug company provides the information from their studies. In fact, drug companies are notorious for hiding the results of these studies. So they could have studied it on people with suicidal ideation and hid those studies if they wanted to, I suppose. But that could get them in trouble down the road 
you know, thanks to thanks to the you know Freedom of Information Act, maybe they could find that like they did with Vioxx and heart disease and various other drugs, including the most recent jabs that were uh, you know emergency use authorized by drug companies that only have your best interest at heart. But we don't know. We don't know if someone with suicidal ideations is going to be at a higher risk with this drug. We can only imagine that maybe they would be. Doctors are warned to think twice before prescribing the drug to patients who are depressed or experience suicidal thoughts. But with the medications being handed out liberally in America, this warning may be overlooked. That's according to the author of this article. And probably me as well. The FDA says there have been at least 60 reports of suicidal thoughts in patients on medications that use semaglutide, which includes Ozempic, Wegovy, and Ribelsis. The reports came from the VAERS, uh, or sorry, the FAERS, not VAERS. VAERS is for vaccines, FAERS for other drugs, the adverse event reporting system, which was used during the COVID pandemic to alert scientists to quote-unquote rare side effect of the vaccines such as blood clots. Yeah, well, we know how rare those are, if you're paying any attention anyway. And yet, we also know that these systems, which are self-reported, which most consumers don't even know exist or have any idea how to use, which take about close to an hour for a doctor to report, who actually knows what they're doing when they report it, at least in theory, and are much more challenging for a patient to report, and yet we still have 60 reports. Well, we do also know that these systems have been tested and proven to be about 1% of the actual adverse events, which means it's not just 60 reports, it's probably closer to 6,000 reports of suicidal thoughts since these drugs were approved for weight loss. Maybe more, maybe less, but it's not a small number. The cases are self-reported, and uh, they uh, have been reported since 2018 uh, when uh, semaglutide was originally uh, being approved for weight loss but had not really been fully rolled out and had not been marketed as such yet at that point. Here's the thing that I think is really important. I mentioned earlier that the pharmaceutical companies are 100% on your side, that their profits, their uh, shareholder profits, um, the CEOs that make, you know, 20 to $50 million a year and fly around on private jets, these people, their primary concern is you. You, It is. It's your health and, and your family's health. They want you to be healthy, which is why they continue to roll out drugs that are so efficacious and also incredibly safe. And here's proof of that. A spokeswoman for Novo Nordisk said, patient safety is a top priority for Novo Nordisk. And we take all reports about adverse events from the use of our medicines very seriously. There you have it. We can take them at their word. They want you to be healthy. That is why they're in the drug business. That is why they provide 61% of the FDA's working budget to regulate their drugs and make sure that those drugs are approved only if they're safe and effective. That's why they give their hard-earned money to the government to make sure 
that there's no, you know, collusion, there's no conflict of interest. They provide that money for the FDA to make sure the FDA tells them to stop if they're hurting people. See how that works? It's it's beautiful. It really is. It's a beautiful beautiful system that we have in this country to protect us as citizens because it's clear. I think it's never been more clear how much the government cares about you and how much pharmaceutical companies care about you. And I'm just relieved to know that Novo Nordisk is no different with Ozempic and Wegovy. Let's talk about results um, with uh, these drugs just really quickly when it comes to previous drugs in the weight loss category. There have been 25 anti-obesity medications withdrawn from the market, 25 since 1964, or sorry, between 1964 and 2009. So I'm not like super great at math, but you know, that's about one every year, not, not quite one every two years or, or a little more than one every two years. Sorry. 25 anti-obesity medications withdrawn between 64 and 2009 in this country. 23 of those were centrally acting via monoamine neurotransmitters. Case reports were cited as evidence for withdrawal in 80% of instances. Psychiatric disturbances or cardiotoxicity um, and drug abuse or dependence were cited in about 83% of these withdrawals. And deaths were reported, but only in seven products of the 25, only, you know, about a quarter or maybe, you know, a little more than a quarter, about 30%, I guess. Um, so, you know, seven of the 25 drugs caused significant number of deaths, which then were, you know, pulled from the market because of that. And uh, 83% of the drugs created psychiatric trauma, which, believe it or not, could actually also result in death, right? And, and, then, and then some of them cardiotoxicity, which could also result in death. I know someone, FinFin, you remember FinFin? Oh, that was a beauty. That was before Vitality Radio. It was back in the early 2000s and late 90s. But uh, I know someone uh, who's no longer with us, um, whose life was basically taken from her by this drug, but not really. She didn't count as a death because she lived for another 12 years or something like that after she was damaged, but she couldn't walk anymore. She was in a wheelchair. She had multiple surgeries. Her quality of life was 100% stripped from her, and then she died. But she got a payout. So again, pharma companies, you know, they do care about you enough that if they get sued for killing you or nearly killing you, sometimes they pay you some money as a way of saying, oops, I'm sorry. But with all of this that I've said, maybe some of it sounds, uh, I don't know, hard for you to swallow. Maybe it's hard to swallow that these drug companies really do have your best interests at heart and not their bottom line. But you know what I'm going to do right now? I'm going to prove that that is indeed the case, that these drug companies really do care because they want people to be thin so much that they're only charging about $1,300 a month for this drug. 
not $1,300 a year, $1,300 a month for this drug. Now, that's not bad, right? I mean, $1,300 a month, most of which isn't covered by your insurance, by the way, the vast majority of it not covered by insurance. And, you know, if you take $1,300 a month and uh, put that across 5 million patients, well, that's only a $78 billion market in America alone, not worldwide, just in America, $78 billion. And I would anticipate two things are happening with that money besides, you know, lining the pockets of the shareholders and the CEOs and whatnot. My guess is that they're doing two things with that money besides that. One thing they're doing is they're putting it in a fund because they know that some people are going to get damaged by this drug. It's just the risk of doing business. It's, it's, uh, it's like war, collateral damage, you know, or, or even making an omelet. You can't make an omelet without breaking some eggs, right? Everybody knows that. So then... Of course, some people will get hurt, but by and large, most people will prob probably be okay, even though their joy has been completely stripped from them and they feel suicidal. But they'll be okay because they'll lose some weight and that'll make them feel happy, in theory, until they go off the drug and the weight comes back, which we also know happens in about 80 plus percent of cases, according to what we know so far, but while they're on it, they're going to feel great because they've lost weight. And then they're probably going to change their diet and exercise habits. They'll probably start eating organic. They'll probably detoxify their liver and enhance their gut microbiome and, you know, stop eating artificial foods and uh, processed foods and refined sugars and diet soda and full sugared soda and, you know, all those things. I'm sure that they will because obviously... When you cut your appetite down to nothing with a drug, when you go off the drug, you'll, you'll be fine. Nothing will have changed. I mean, everything will have changed. Oh, wait. No, I guess nothing will have changed. But still, at least while they were on the drug, things were pretty good, right? But they do know because, well, pharmaceutical companies have a fund specifically to pay out people who are harmed by their drugs. Unless it's a vaccine and then the government is in charge of that because they're completely 100% free of any liability if one of their vaccines hurts somebody. Which is why they want to produce so many vaccines and save so many lives because they really, really, really care about you, not the bottom line. Like I said, I mean, Olympics only... $78 billion, $78 billion. It's not that much money, is it? $1,300 a month per patient. So they're going to put some of that aside to pay out people because they care about you. If you do get hurt, they want to give you some cash. They do. I mean, they won't really do it unless they get sued in some massive class action lawsuit that takes years and years and years, and then they end up settling for way less than what is the correct amount, which would be $78 billion a year. I mean, every single dime that they bilked out of the consumer, I mean, that they um, graciously charged the consumer for, for their life-changing drug, 
And then the other thing they'll do, besides, again, lining the pockets of the shareholders, the CEOs and whatnot, oh, and giving a bunch of that money to the FDA to make sure that these drugs are safe and effective all the time, that, that, that Ozempic won't be the 26th anti-obesity drug to be withdrawn from the market, right? So yeah, safety, their primary concern. And, and then if, if, if a, the very, very few people, the really rare side effects that occur, they've got a little money there for you to, you know, take care of you, just like they did with Vioxx when, um, you know, it only killed 60,000 people. That's not that bad, right? I mean, 60,000 people. I mean, in the, in the grand scheme of things, there's like 8 billion of us now. So what's 60,000, right? It's uh, collateral damage. It's collateral damage. No big deal. And they got money to cover that. So that's good. The other thing that they'll probably do with that money is they'll market their other drugs and put more money into marketing Ozempic and Wigovi, semaglutide drugs. Because what they have discovered is that in America, they can keep marketing those drugs to patients and to doctors and, and, and they'll, you know, they'll take doctors to nice dinners and they'll give them uh, money to speak at doctor meetings and they'll make them thought leaders so that we have these wonderful doctors that are bought and paid for by pharma to deliver these amazing thoughts that lead people to these amazing life-changing drugs that are incredibly safe and effective because the FDA has said they're effective after the drug companies have given them money to say that they're effective. The system is, it's ironclad here. It's all about you. And it always has been. That is why pharma is here. I hope I've gotten that through to you. Okay, so it is a little expensive at $1,300 a month. I mean, let's face it. Right now, it costs almost $1,300 a month to buy a dozen eggs. So it's not like it's you know, not right there with everything else because I just paid $4.19 for gas in Utah and I know that it's $6.50 in Southern California right now. And so, you know, again, compared to everything else, Ozempic's, you know, it's a pretty good value, I'm sure. But even if it is expensive and even if there are a few people, I mean, maybe it's thousands, maybe it's more, that have like severe problems with it, like thyroid cancer and suicidal ideation, potentially leading to actual suicide attempts, potentially leading to, to actual successful suicides. Even if that's the case, there's, they wouldn't prescribe it to your children because your children, I mean, come on. They're supposed to be protected by all of us, right? We all, I believe that children are our future. Right. And, and I know Whitney believed that, too. And I, and I know the drug companies believe that. In fact, I think they probably sing that song when they're making these new pharmaceuticals that they would never prescribe to children because they might be unsafe for, for a small percentage of them. Except that it's really weird because there's this group called the American Academy of Pediatrics. And these are the people who are in charge of, you know, recommendations on what we ought to be giving to our kids, what we ought to not be giving to our kids. Um, and, you know, like other uh, organizations in this space, they 
might have some mild conflict of interest. There may be doctors at the American Academy of Pediatrics that are in the pocket of pharma or that pharma is in the pocket of them or whatever. There might be, but I'm sure that's not the case because some of these doctors have children of their own and they would never recommend something for your children that they wouldn't recommend for their own. I'm sure that that's the case for 100%, right? And so... I guess I was wrong. I thought no way they would give this drug to kids because, you know, we don't want kids having suicidal ideations. We certainly don't want them to have thyroid cancer. And there are things that we could do for kids to help them not be overweight, right? Hmm. No, here it is. Children struggling with obesity. This is according to CBS News, and, and we know CBS News is a trustworthy organization as well. Children struggling with obesity should be evaluated and treated early and aggressively, including with medications for kids as young as 12 and surgery for those as young as 13, according to new guidelines released by the American Academy of Pediatrics. The long-standing practice of watchful waiting or delaying treatment to see whether children and teens outgrow or overcome obesity on their own only worsens the problem that affects about 14 million kids in the U.S., researchers say, left untreated. Obesity can lead to lifelong health problems, including high blood pressure, diabetes, and depression. Waiting doesn't work, said Dr. I knew I wouldn't be able to pronounce this, Ihuoma Inili, who is the co-author of the first guidance on childhood obesity in 15 years from the American Academy of Pediatrics. Because here's the thing about the American Academy of Pediatrics. They're so concerned about your kids and their weight and their body mass index that they've been thinking hard for 15 years on what they could do to possibly Help your kids not become obese. But they finally came out with this after long and, and, and challenging research and study. And what they've decided is that what they see, rather than children growing out of obesity, is a continuation of weight gain and the likelihood that they'll have obesity in adulthood. For the first time, the group's guidance sets ages at which kids and teens should be offered medical treatment such as drugs and surgery. In addition to intensive diet, exercise, and other behavior and lifestyle interventions, said Anili, director of the Center for Healthy Weight and Nutrition at Nationwide Children's Hospital. Oh, by the way, just based on that, I would say probably don't ever take your kids to that hospital. I mean, this is the director of healthy weight and nutrition at Nationwide Children's Hospital, probably, you know, just based on what I'm reading now. I mean, I'm sure he's, I, I get it. I'm sure he has your child's best interest at heart. I, I, I believe that for sure. Because CBS News says that he does. Or maybe she, <laughs> I'm not even sure. But regardless, Dr. Anili, um, yeah. Nationwide Children's Hospital. Maybe scratch that one off your list. In general, doctors should offer adolescents 12 and older who have obesity access to appropriate drugs and teens 13 and older with severe obesity referrals for weight loss surgery. Irreversible weight loss surgery, I might add. But, you know, situations may vary, they say, and of course they do. Every patient's a little different. 
Uh, the guidelines aim to reset the inaccurate view of obesity as a personal problem, maybe a failure of the person's diligence, said Dr. Sandra. Uh, Sandra Hasinic or Hasink. Sandra Hasink. Well, I don't know why these doctors have such hard names to pronounce, but they do. But they're very smart. So that's okay. I'll I'll work through it and try and improve my pronunciation skills. Uh, she's the medical director for the AAP Institute for Healthy Childhood Weight and the co-author of the guidelines. Now, here's the thing. She must be an expert in this place or the American Academy of Pediatrics would never have put her there, right? Because their primary concern is your children's health, not drug company profits. So Dr. Sandra Hesink uh, is the medical director of the Healthy Childhood Weight Organization or the, the, the Institute at uh, the AAP. And she says this, and I, I, I have to tell you, this to me is probably one of the most brilliant uh, medical observations of our time. You know, they just awarded two clown, I mean, two uh, doctors uh, for their work on the um, mRNA uh, vaccines with the Nobel Prize, which means they both got a million dollars. And I'll be ranting about that a little bit later uh, in a different show. But this Hasink, Sandra Hasink, my gosh, she deserves more than a million dollars, much, much more. Because she discovered something that is absolutely brilliant. I'd never thought of it before. Obesity is no different than asthma. And now we have an inhaler for you, she said. Ozempic is the equivalent of a steroid inhaler for asthma because I guess obesity is never the fault of the individual who becomes obese based on diet and exercise and various other things. We've been barking up the wrong tree with this. You can't be fit naturally. You can't, it's not, I'm sure it's not possible. And, and I had always thought that you could. I thought that there was a reason we had gyms and the reason why we had, you know, access to organic foods and um, uh, things like MyFitnessPal where we could, you know, look at our macros and things like that and you know, different types of diets and intermittent fasting and paleo and all these different things. I thought, and and I clearly I'm wrong, according to Dr. Hasink. I get it. I, I understand that now. But I thought, I was under the impression that diet and exercise mattered. But according to this, she says, I definitely think that this is a realization that diet and exercise is not going to do it for a number of teens who are struggling with this. And maybe the majority because, again, it's no different than asthma. But maybe to Hasink, it is no different than asthma. Because she also doesn't think that you can do anything naturally for asthma. She also doesn't think, I'm guessing, that diet has anything to do with asthma. That fitness levels have anything to do with asthma. It's just a thing that people have and nothing can be done about it. She also probably doesn't think that the childhood schedule of vaccines might be behind the high levels of asthma and allergies that children have because, you know, safe and effective. All right. So you may have noticed uh, a little, you know, like tongue in cheek, a little sarcasm. Uh, perhaps I haven't sounded completely genuine as I've been lauding the beauty of the system that has brought us these American Academy of Pediatric 
recommendations to drug our children into submission so that they can be at a healthy weight. Maybe you've recognized that, uh, yeah, most of what I just said there was satire. Maybe. If you didn't, <laughs> uh, get a little wax out of your ears. That We sell ear candles at Vitality. We can help you with that if you'd like. And uh, recognize that uh, there is no more corrupt system in the world. I mean, mil- maybe the military-industrial complex. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. But the uh, medical, pharmaceutical, hospital, FDA, CDC, NIH complex. Woo! That's a biggie. They just don't care one bit. They don't. And you know what's sad? And now there's zero sarcasm. What's sad is that your child's pediatrician is being guided by that organization, the American Academy of Pediatric Physicians. That's where their guidance comes from. From people like Dr. Hasink and Iluna, Ilona, who clearly believe that there is nothing that could possibly be effective to improve the health of your child other than a pharmaceutical drug. Or, of course, surgery. That's who's guiding those people. And therefore, you might want to just think twice. You know, like they said in that article that doctors should think twice before giving a drug that creates suicidal thoughts to someone who's already dealing with suicidal thoughts. Maybe you should think twice before you take a recommendation from people guided by the AAP. Now, I'll remind you that I'm not a doctor and this is not medical advice at all because I'm not trained to give medical advice. I'm not trained by the AAP. I'm not trained by the AMA. I'm, I've never been to medical school. I've never been trained on any of those things. I'm just a guy who does a podcast who can read and research some stuff and has a pretty healthy bit of, uh, what's the word, distrust, maybe a lack of faith in the institutions of health and medicine in this country. So now let's get personal. I, as I sit here right now as your friendly neighborhood podcaster talking about health and health freedom, supplementation, organic food, pharmaceuticals, and all the other things that I talk about, I could stand to lose 20 to 30 pounds myself. I'm not at my ideal weight. I'm not morbidly obese, but I could stand to lose some weight for sure. In fact, right now I'm actively attempting to do so. And I have. I've lost a little bit of weight. I've cleaned up my diet a lot. I've made a lot of changes. I got my hip working so I can actually hike and get on the Peloton and do these things. And I'm, I'm really enjoying that because I know that's been a big part of the problem over the last four or five years for me. But I can make excuses all I want. The truth is I've dealt with being somewhere between, I don't know, 10 and 30 pounds overweight. At the, the, at the worst, I was about 
42 over where I would have liked to be and feel like I am at my healthiest. And that was a while back, uh, thankfully, because I've been better to myself since then, for sure. But I'm still not where I'd like to be. And part of that is really, 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 really simple. And that is that while I have not forgotten about the value of diet and exercise, I haven't done that great with it either. And I know, I know better. Absolutely. And I also know that if you're listening to me and you're looking down and saying, I'd like to lose some of this fat too, or you're looking at your child and you're wishing that you had better answers to help them not become obese. If that's the boat you're in, I get it. I do. Now, thankfully, my children don't have that issue. And like I said, I'm not morbidly obese. But you're going to be hard-pressed to find someone who knows more about nutrition than I do. It's all I've studied my whole life. And I'll be the first one to admit that I don't know which is a healthier diet for you. Paleo or keto or carnivore or raw vegan or whatever. I have a lot of opinions about all of those things for sure. But this is what I do know. I know that your body and mine, by design, are meant to naturally heal themselves. 100%. Now, there are a lot of things in the way. A lot of things in the way. One of which is the dirty world we live in. And I want to put a little bit of focus on that. Because this is the problem that I see. One quote that I didn't even mention, I somehow or another forgot to copy and paste it from that CBS article, but it's a big one, is that one of those doctors said that it's a biological problem. It's a biological problem, meaning there's like a problem with the human body, and that's why people are overweight, not because of the choices they make of what food they put in their mouths or how much they get up off their butts and run around. I'm not throwing anyone under the bus, and I'm not throwing anyone's kids under the bus. But to say that it's a biological problem is a massive cop-out. We live in a toxic world, and our kids are fed toxins through the medicine they receive, the mac and cheese and chicken nuggets and Captain Crunch that they eat, the Gatorade and soda that they drink, and the air that they breathe, among other things. Glyphosate, a massive dependence on grains and seed oils in our food supply, and the pure poison that is artificial colors are destroying our kids' neurological systems and their digestive systems, eroding their thyroid, pancreases, and adrenals, creating mass liver toxicity, destruction of the microbiome, and a hundred other conditions that are actually root causes for obesity because I promise you it's not a deficiency in semaglutide. Yet the geniuses at the AAP are looking at that, of course, are, sorry, are not looking at that, of course. They are looking at a drug intervention because they have a direct affiliation 
with pharmaceutical companies and the profits that those pharmaceutical companies generate. They are partners in crime. Look at what your kids get slopped on their plate for the school lunch program, as an example. If you, public or private, but especially public, if you look at what the school lunch program is and you think for one minute that the government gives one rip about your kid's health, think again. And now let's look at environmental things beyond toxicity, screen time. I was at a concert with my buddy just two nights ago. He grew up with me in the same neighborhood that I live in now. His mom still lives in that same house two doors down from me. And in the little cul-de-sac between our two houses, we played kick the can all summer long. We played basketball. We played football. We rode our bikes. We did all the things. And I know if you're old like me, you remember that too. But our kids aren't doing that anymore. And do you remember when you were younger? How rare it was to see a child who dealt with obesity. Do you really believe that it's suddenly this biological problem that just appeared out of nowhere? Why are cancer rates up? Why is autism at a level that is epidemic 100%? Why is childhood obesity off the charts? Why is childhood diabetes off the charts? What is going on here? It's not a biological problem that they're born with, but can it become a biological problem? Because of being poisoned and not learning how to get and stay active? Absolutely. Now we can have a biological problem. But that biological problem in most cases does not have to be permanent. It doesn't have to be an, an, an impedance for their health or for yours. The reason you're listening to Vitality Radio most likely is because you know better than what these clowns are telling you at the American Academy of Pediatrics or these disingenuous dirtbags at Norda Novisk. Is that what it is? Nord Novisk, whatever the drug company is that makes semaglutide. Oh, our patient's health, our customer's health, it's our top priority. Yeah, BS it is. Your top priority is $78 billion a year. That's your top priority. Of which you'll take a portion to pay out the massive lawsuits coming your way in the next few years from the fallout of this very dangerous set of pharmaceuticals. So it always starts with diet. But what if there are metabolic challenges or quote-unquote biological problems? For my money, and I don't have $78 billion, but for the money that I do have, those can be addressed too. Drainage and detoxification are the key. And then rebuilding the gut and balancing the hormones. Do you know that my assistant Jessica, who helps me put this show together each week, has told me about 
two cases of children that she's aware of that started puberty, young girls, at the age of five and six years old. You think that's normal? You think there might be something in the water, like literally, and in the air, and in the food supply, and in the pharmaceuticals? You think that might be part of the problem here? Hormone dysregulation due to mass endocrine disruption is a huge factor in all of this. It is time to quit ignoring root causes and start embracing taking care of the beautiful bodies that we have been blessed with. And that is what I am doing. It's never too late. I'm 51 years old, but guess what? I got two grandbabies on the way. I got one coming in about a month, and I got another one coming a month after that. My first two, a girl and a boy. And I am so excited. And I have two other amazing grandbabies already that I've been blessed with by my sweet fiance and her children. Well, mostly they did the work. But regardless, she's their grandma. And I'm hers. Not her grandma. <laughs> I'm her man. She's my woman. And they're our grandkids. And we're going to have four of them in the next two months. And I want to run with those babies. And I don't want to be panting when I'm chasing them around the kitchen like I did with sweet, our sweet, sweet granddaughter just a few days ago, chasing her all over the kitchen and catching her and tickling her and telling her how much I love her. So I'm doing better. Over the last two years, my sweet Jen and I, we have made dramatic changes to the way that we eat. I used to eat pretty clean most of the time with some dirty stuff mixed in. Too much dirty stuff mixed in. We were just <laughs> laughing about road trips that the two of us would go on. And we love road trips. And we used to stop at the gas stations and we used to eat the stuff. And basically a road trip was an excuse, excuse, excuse to not pay that much attention to what we were putting in our bodies. And then we'd come back and we didn't feel so hot and we'd get back to eating all the organic food and we'd do all that stuff. But a couple of years ago, Jen said was enough is enough. I'm done with this. I don't want to feel like crap. And soon after I joined her and we don't feel like crap anymore. Are we optimally healthy? No, we're not. I just told you I could stand to lose another 20 plus pounds. So no, we're not optimally healthy. But we're way healthier than we were. It's never too late to start. And I'm starting to listen to the words that I'm speaking to you a little more closely for myself. At least when it comes to diet and movement and really focusing on that. One of the things I aim to do on this podcast is to just be me. No facade. To just be an authentic person that wants to hopefully share some information with you that you can latch on to to improve your health. And now I'm taking my own medicine a little more than I used to for sure. So what can you do? Because I said it's never too late for old folks like me. It's never too early for our kids either. Detoxify your home. Those little grandbabies that come over to Jen's place, 
those little grandbabies, those little grandbabies come to a clean home. There are no artificial chemicals that they get to breathe in when they're in our place. And we took a stand just with ourselves and said, we're not going to feed them crap when they're here. We're not. We're going to feed them healthy food. At least when they're in our house, they'll eat well. And they won't be breathing in all that nasty stuff. And you can do the same for your kids or your grandkids. You can detoxify your home. You can detoxify your life. You can detoxify your body, which is a little more challenging, I think. But it's absolutely doable. And it's one of the reasons that we've embraced CellCore very recently to try and help you do exactly that. It's the reason that Jessica, Jen, and I are all doing the foundational protocol from CellCore to detoxify our bodies and get even healthier than we already are with the changes that we've already made. So there are things that can be done. Most disease can be reversed, including diabetes and including obesity. If it has become a biological problem, which I do believe it can be, metabolic issues are real. And if it's become a biological problem, that can be reversed too. As a general rule, when you dig yourself into a hole, you can actually dig yourself back out. And that's pretty much what has to happen. Fill that hole up, basically doing the exact opposite of what you did to dig it. Instead of eating toxic crap, instead of giving your kids toxic crap, give them clean. Eat the organic. Eat the fermented. Eat the naturally colored things, not the artificially colored things. Clean up all the stuff. You can clean your house without chemicals 100%. You can clean your laundry without chemicals 100%. You can make your house smell nice without chemicals 100%. So just do it. One thing at a time, one step at a time, one change at a time, one shovel full at a time will dig you out of the hole that you may have created for yourself. And it's okay that you may be your worst enemy up to this point. I certainly have been mine. Nobody's done anything to me to create my health issues. The health issues that I've dealt with, whether it be dental stuff, which has been a challenge for me over the years, whether it's been this 20 extra pounds or so that I'm lugging around that I don't want to lug around anymore. Whatever those things are, I did them. I've talked about when I was 26 years old and had this horrible case of acid reflux. Well, guess what? I dug myself out of that hole too, and it took less than a year. I haven't had acid reflux in 25 years now. But I gave myself that problem, and I fixed that problem. And you can do the same. And we don't need to rely on Ozempic to lose weight, to not be obese. And I really don't care if you're 25, 30 pounds overweight or 200 pounds overweight. 
the journey is longer, the deeper the hole you're in, more shovelfuls to fill it back up, but you can do it 100%. Let me give you one thing to think about because a lot of people are asking. Okay, what about berberine? I've been seeing on TikTok, I've been seeing on Instagram, I've been seeing on Facebook that berberine is nature's ozempic. Is it? Well, this article came from uh, CNBC. And CNBC, you know, are they better than CBS? Are they worse than CBS? No, they're the same thing as CBS. They're all full of crap. They're all propagandists that just spew the nonsense that guess who wants them to spew? Your good old buddies at the pharmaceutical companies that pay a big part of the bills at these major media outlets. And this is what they have to say about berberine. Okay? It's not a dramatic weight loss advantage for berberine, said Dr. Fatima Cody Stanford, an obesity medicine specialist and the equity director of the endocrine division at Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston. The studies show that it's between a quarter of a BMI point to one BMI point reduction with berberine, which is nowhere near what you see on average with semaglutide, she said, referring to the drug found in Ozempic. Stanford was not involved in this research. For people in those studies, the optimal dose appeared to be one gram per day, Stanford said. Cohen, another doctor, was more cautious about using the compound for weight loss. Because dietary supplements aren't reviewed or approved by the Food and Drug Administration, they can be promoted for just about any health claim, Cohen said. Supplements can also contain inaccurate amounts of the compound or contain other ingredients that aren't listed on the label. He went on to say, oh, sorry, <clears throat> he went on to say, an active pharmaceutical drug like berberine is not the kind of thing that you should just be taking willy-nilly. What? An active pharmaceutical drug like berberine? Oh, you mean the natural compound that comes from herbs that is like really, really, really effective for blood pressure and diabetes and lipid profiles and a variety of other things, that active pharmaceutical drug? Is that what you're talking about, Mr. Cohen? Oh, sorry, sorry. Dr. Cohen? I'm, I'm sorry. I, I know that probably hurt your ego when I took the doctor out of that. Let's continue and hear what Dr. Cohen has to say. What's more, how the supplement supports weight loss, if at all, is largely unknown. People are saying it's like metformin, but it's not. That's Dr. Holly Lofton, therefore the different voice. The director of the weight management program at NYU Langen Health, referring to a medication people with diabetes use to lower their blood sugar levels. She said she isn't recommending berberine for weight loss at all. Let's go back through what Cohen and Lofton and who's that other person Stanford had to say, okay? So basically they say it's not very effective for weight loss. Is that true? Well, I'm going to say this. Yeah, to some degree that's true. If you're comparing it to semaglutide, is it going to be as effective as quickly as semaglutide at weight loss or BMI shifts? 
Absolutely not. Does it slow your digestive system down to a crawl? Does it make you suicidal? Does it cause thyroid cancer? Interestingly, no, it doesn't do any of those things. And while it's not doing any of those things, it's doing these other really cool things, helping to balance your blood sugar levels, helping to reduce your A1C, which is a very important inflammatory marker, not just showing what's going on with diabetes, but other factors in the human body as well, helping to balance your lipid profile and reduce your blood pressure. If indeed you have blood pressure problems, if you don't have high blood pressure, berberine doesn't seem to affect your blood pressure at all. Isn't that nice? Here's this natural compound that Dr. Lofton says is not like metformin, except in the clinical studies, it is exactly like metformin, <laughs> minus most of the side effects. In fact, in the clinical studies, it's equally effective to metformin, but has less side effects. And you can find out all about berberine on episode 227 of the Vitality Radio podcast, which will be linked at the bottom of this show in the description. I highly recommend you listen to that if you're curious about how berberine works. And then, of course, Cohen says... Because dietary supplements aren't reviewed or approved by the Food and Drug Administration, they can be promoted for just about any health claim. Well, is that true? <laughs> Cohen, you either have your head so far up in the clouds, or you're just a stinking liar. Uh, I'm going to lean towards number two, but I could be wrong. Because here's the thing, they can't make any of those claims with berberine, you clown, because it isn't a drug and it's illegal to make drug claims with a natural substance that doesn't come from a pharmaceutical company. It's illegal. You can't do it. Can people on TikTok say that it helps you lose weight? Yeah, but they aren't selling the product. People on TikTok can say whatever the heck they want, but they're not selling the product. So don't give us that crap. You can't make claims on natural products, even if they work as well as metformin. Even if we had one that did what Ozempic does, we couldn't say anything about it because it's not a drug. And drugs are the only ones that have protected free speech in this country. And then he goes on to seriously say this. An active pharmaceutical drug like berberine, it's not the kind of thing you should just take willy-nilly. Oh, right. That's a good point. I hadn't even thought of that. Because only active pharmaceutical drugs that are approved by the FDA as prescription pharmaceuticals are actually safe and effective. And only those drugs can be on the market when they are known to create thyroid cancer and suicidal ideation. Berberine couldn't get away with that because it's not an active pharmaceutical drug. And so if it created those problems, it would be pulled from the shelf so fast it'd make your head spin. Dr. Cohen. Is berberine safe? Well, medications derived from plants aren't uncommon, Cohen said. Highly effective drugs, including aspirin and morphine, come from plants. Known side effects of berberine in, human, in humans include the following. Listen to how dangerous these are. 
if these aren't absolutely just as bad as thyroid cancer and suicide, then you can disregard everything I've said on this podcast. The most common side effects in humans are nausea and vomiting. Hmm. Interesting. Very, very dangerous. Now, I'm just going to say this, and I can only say it as a layman because I'm not a doctor, but um, I probably sold something close to 40 or 50 bottles of berberine a month at Vitality Nutrition for the last three and a half years, give or take. I've yet to have a single person told, tell me that it caused nausea or vomiting, ever. Does it happen? I bet you it does. I bet it does in a very, very small number of people. But those are the common side effects. Now, here's the thing, though. We've got to listen to Dr. Stanford here. This is very important. She would recommend speaking with a doctor before taking berberine as part of a weight loss regimen. Wow. Yeah. We better talk to our doctor about that. The same doctor that would readily prescribe semaglutide but should think twice, you know, if maybe that patient was suicidal at some point in their life. And here, this is important too. My gosh, these doctors, I'm so grateful for these doctors. These don't go through any FDA approval or regulation, she said. You might work with someone that has some knowledge, whether it be an MD or, to her credit, a naturopathic physician. And if there are any side effects, stop taking the medication, she said. And then Dr. Cohen, with his just incredible wisdom and foresight, has this to add. Despite the potential benefits for weight loss, it's just not worth the risk. <laughs> Sometimes you got to laugh or you're going to cry. I'm telling you, I might be on one today. <laughs> I'm a little annoyed. <laughs> oh, but they always give me this incredible fodder that I can feed into my cannon. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right. Let me conclude with this. That risk that Dr. Cohen is talking about, that it's just not worth trying berberine because you might get nauseous, maybe. And that you'd be way better off with semaglutide because thyroid cancer, they can fix that. They just cut the dang thing out, give you a little radiation. You'll be fine. And most suicide attempts don't aren't successful. So, you know, it's cool. Berberine's clearly more dangerous. You remember that meta-analysis they talked about above where they said that berberine was uh, you know, not that great for weight loss? Here's the conclusion of that analysis. This systemic review and dose-response meta-analysis found a significant improvement in lipid profiles. Significant improvement in lipid profiles. Insulin resistance and anthro pometric measures associated with berberine supplementation. However, no significant changes have been observed in liver enzymes or inflammatory markers. 
Therefore, berberine may be an effective supplement for the improvement of metabolic syndrome and cardiovascular risk. To comprehend how berberine affects these outcomes in people, mechanistic research and future investigations are required. And this is what they said about side effects. While no significant adverse effects were reported in some studies, other studies did report mild to moderate gastrointestinal adverse effects, including nausea, constipation, and diarrhea. You're right, Dr. Cohen, it's not worth the risk. This product that doesn't hurt your liver or create any inflammatory markers does improve insulin resistance, does reduce metabolic syndrome, does reduce risk of cardiovascular disease, and over time, although much, much more slowly than Ozempic, will actually help you lose weight in many cases. It's just not worth the risk. You might get nauseous. I rest my case. I hope this has been helpful. I uh, would actually love to hear your feedback on this episode. I uh, spent a lot of time studying uh, semaglutide. I am sad that I haven't brought this to you before because hopefully, um, you know, maybe this show will help somebody not make the decision to go on this trash. I hope I also did my best job of offending as many of the doctors that I've quoted <laughs> and the organizations and the propaganda machines known as corporate news media as I possibly could during this episode without offending you as a valued listener. I get it. I understand that weight loss is a challenge for people who struggle with it especially if it's your child. I understand that 100%. There is a reason why I do Vitality Radio, and it's a very, very simple thing. I want to give you the other side of the coin when it comes to information about your health and give you options and alternatives that can help you be healthier, and live your most vital life, and that applies to your kids as well. I hope that that's what I'm providing for you here. Thank you so much for listening to me. My name is Jared St. Clair, and this has been Vitality Radio. You've been listening to the Vitality Radio Podcast. Enjoy your week. In the meantime, Jared will be feverishly searching for the latest nutrition info to educate you on and wading into mounds of propaganda to help steer you through it. Vitality Radio is researched and written by Jared St. Clair. Our awesome music is by Brian Bob Young. Support Vitality Radio by subscribing and giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or your favorite podcast source. Don't forget to follow us at Vitality Radio on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Please let us know your thoughts about this episode by using the hashtag Vitality Radio Podcast. And if you like what you hear, go tell somebody with a share, a screenshot, or an airdrop. Thank you.